I think that um, I'm going to give Walt a call in between, and let's see, I think a Vente raspberry white chocolate mocha is in order as soon as he can stand up. Amazing. But what I would like for us to do is just take a moment and pray for Walt, um, because I know he would rather be here than there. So let's do that, and then we'll jump into um, a text this morning. Heavenly Father, we do. We thank you um, for Walt, Caroline, Alex, Emma, uh, their family. It means so much to us, and certainly um, as leadership um, to this church plant. God, we pray for Walt this morning. I pray for healing. I pray that you would touch his back, his body, that you would bring him to full strength, God. Um, and should it be that he feels great, drives down here, and uh, gives the message for uh, the second service, God, to you it would be all, your, all you, your glory and praise. I thank you this morning that you have a word that is so living and active that literally we can just pick it up at any place, at any moment, God, and that we can, we can teach truth, we can preach truth, we can tell truth. God, we can just grow in relationship with you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives within us. God, thank you for this group of people who have come here. I pray that they've come hungry. I pray you would just increase the hunger in them to know you. I pray that you would give us all just an extreme desire to know you, um, an extreme desire to set aside things in our lives um, that gets in the way just week to week, moment by moment, day to day, where we, we make those choices. Um, but God, we do. We want to put you first. We truly want to live out what Jesus said, and that is to love you with all of our heart, love you with all of our mind, love you with all of our strength, love you with all of our will, God. And so this text this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower my words. I pray that you would in, just invade our hearts with this message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What, um, what struck me is that um, when George gave the very first message on facades and foundations. It's been about maybe four weeks ago. And if you remember, if you were here that Sunday, he talked about a sailboat. And he talked about how if a sailboat is going to maneuver on the water properly, does anybody remember it's got to have more weight underneath it to keep it above water so that it can function properly? It's what is underneath the surface that is strategic in keeping that sailboat moving along, and he gave an example of a, um, a very skilled um, sailor who was lost at sea, and they couldn't figure out why the sailboat never, you know, righted itself, because they're built to do that. So since these few weeks of facades and foundation series that we've been working on, I have certainly been thinking about, even through the Wednesday night study of Ruth, just what kind of funny. What, what does my underside look like? That's probably not even a word, but what does my underside look like? You know, what's underneath, what's deep within me that keeps me afloat on top? And that's really what is the most important. That's that deep relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And as the, the text, as we've worked through Matthew, um, we looked at giving and then the prayer. We looked at the Lord's Prayer. Walt will be preaching at some point, whether it's, whether it's at the 11 and 15 service or next week. He'll be talking about forgiveness and then followed up with fasting 
um, the following Sunday. But all of these, what we call spiritual disciplines, and sometimes when we hear the word discipline, it's like, oh, I'm not even sure I even like that word. But it really is something extremely important in our lives as Christ followers to have the discipline day to day to day because that's what builds our underneath. That's what builds us into these relationships so that we can be effective in the world. Um, the text I'm going to choose for us to go to, and, I, and there's two reasons. Number one, if you were to say, Karen, get up and talk about something in the scriptures, I'm going to the Old Testament. That, that's just, um, as you get to know me, um, I will always tend to sink back into the Old Testament. And the second reason, well, actually there's three. The second reason I'm going to choose this text is because this text was life-changing for me. This text, these few verses, these chapters um, surrounding um, Exodus 33 literally changed my life years ago. So it's a very beloved text to me. It's very personal to me. So it, it makes it very easy for me to come up and share this, these verses. The third reason, which I think is pretty ironic, but it's, you know, nothing is, uh, nothing's by chance at all, is that prior to the service, I was standing right there talking to Donna, talking to Skip, talking to Larry, and we're talking about Egypt. I mean, what a, you know, we just got to talking about Egypt. And our text this morning is um, going to come from Exodus. It's in a transition from Egypt into the Promised Land. So I find it kind of uh, interesting that that's where our discussion was this morning, and that's where we're going to head into the Old Testament. So if you would take your Bibles, and if you don't have one or didn't happen to not bring one, they're, they're located up here on the platform. We'd love for you to have one in your hand. I'd like for you to turn to the second book of the Bible called Exodus, and I'd like for you to turn to the 33rd chapter, 33rd chapter of Exodus. And um, still thinking, still had pondering in the back of your mind about foundations. And as I, as I said, this, this, I mean, we're, we're going back in my life maybe about 15 years ago when I was teaching or getting ready to teach. I was just, just kind of got into um, uh, teaching small children. And if that wasn't a challenge, because they were three-year-olds, and the most wonderful group of three-year-olds, and when I stepped into teaching, it was in the book of Exodus, and I came right in the, in the middle of that as we were teaching from Passover on in, and um, it really was quite a life-changing moment as I began to get truth out of Scripture down to really a level that a three-year-old could understand, which simply meant I could understand it. You know, that, that helped me begin to see these beautiful, simple truths in the depths of Scripture. And it began, these chapters literally, I think, began to lay that foundation um, in my heart and in my mind and in my desire that things had to go out of my life and my priorities had to change and, you know, I didn't know what that looked like. I had, honestly had no idea what that looked like. I just knew I, I desired it. And so I would just follow, you know, whatever. I tried to follow whatever, um, you know, God was leading me to. And I would just, it was a day-by-day-by-day day, day thing. But this, the, um, 
these chapters, Exodus 32 and 33, let's take a look at them. I'm going to back in. We're going to look at 33, but just so we, we have a context. And those of you who are doing Ruth, you know what I mean by context. We're weaving in something. We want to weave this picture together to see what's happening. In Exodus 32, this is the context of when, if you know the story, Moses has brought out about 4 million people out of Egypt. And they're, they're, they're kind of happy the first 10 minutes, you know, of their freedom. I think it's about 10 minutes in, they're like, I'm ready to go back to Egypt kind of thing. You know, they get to the Red Sea and it's um, the, the Egyptian army's coming out. They've been in bondage 400 years and God's done these amazing things in their life. And they get to the Red Sea and it, they, they're, you know, they, don't, they begin to complain and grumble against God. They grumble and complain against Moses and um, they want to go back to Egypt. And God says, no, you just stand. Moses, you tell them to stand still. You stand still, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something incredible on their behalf. I'm going to deliver you. And then you know the story. God parts the Red Sea, and they, they walk over on dry ground, and they start heading to the Promised Land. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think that would be kind of convicting to me that, that God's on my side. He's for me, not against me. But pretty soon you get into the depths of the desert, and uh, Moses has to go and leave them. He's going up onto Mount Sinai. And while he's gone, remember his brother Aaron, in this, as the, as the uh, text tells us, that he begins to form a golden calf for, these, uh, his, for the Israelites to worship. So when we pick up this text, Moses has come down off of Mount Sinai. He's been face-to-face uh, -face with God, receiving the commandments. And he comes down off of the mountain, and they've got this golden calf. And, and Aaron's got this great excuse, doesn't he? He said, well, it just... It just popped up out of, the, out of the fire. You know, look what happened. It just, it just happened, and, and we didn't know what to do, so I guess we'll just worship it. I mean, amazing. Well, God's anger, because God is cementing a covenant relationship with his people. And again, I just refer back to our study of Ruth, and, and we've been talking about this commitment loyalty to both sides, that when God says, I'm committed to you, he's asking his people, you commit back to me. And that commitment demands all of you. Not all of you in, all of you in number, but all of you in, in your whole being. Not just a Sunday morning kind of activity, not just um, you know, for, for the minutes that you spend in prayer with me, or not for those times, certainly those times you're, you're asking for deliverance over something or help with something. Yes, I want, but I want all of you. I want your entirety. I want your whole being. And that's what he was demanding of his people that he had just delivered. And so when Moses gets down off of Mount Sinai and he comes down and they've got this golden calf and Aaron is in charge, Aaron's pretty blistered. I mean, he, he's pretty blistered about this. I mean, he's, he's upset about it. God is certainly upset about it. And we get to this really quite dramatic text and conversation in the 32nd chapter. So let's, let's look at this, um, beginning back in verse 20. Let's look at verse 25, just so you can kind of see what's going on. This is Exodus 32, 25. Moses saw that the people, they were just running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control 
and this next little portion of this, and so became a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp. Now, that's all of the nation of Israel. I mean, they are camped out in the middle of the desert. They're not in some big fancy city. I mean, they're literally out in the wilderness. And he stands at the entrance to the camp, and he said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And then all the Levites rallied to him. And, and the only thing that, if you're, if you're not familiar with that, the only thing to, to know about that was that was one of the tribes of Israel, one of the groups of Israel that had been selected to serve as the priesthood. And it just says that they all immediately came to that side. All right, then verse 27. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other. Now this seems very, very harsh, but I just want you to see what's going on in this context. Each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. And the Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. One little kind of note to send out there, and many scholars have tied this to the book of Acts when 3,000 were added that day. It's very interesting, very interesting connection. I just kind of tossed that, that out to you. Verse 29, then Moses said, you have been, look at this, you have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you. It seems very harsh, but let's keep going. Verse 30, the next day Moses says to the people that you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. See, Moses wanted to step in the middle. He wanted to say, I want to be the substitute for the entire nation. Now, I don't know about you, but four million whiners, you know, grumblers, do you want to step in the middle of all that and say, I'll, I'll take the blame. I'll step in as the substitute for the sin of all of these people because they all had participated. In verse 31, so Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. Now, that's a pretty amazing statement because what Moses is saying is, I'll take their place. You blot my name out of the book of life. I'll take the eternal consequences if you will just forgive the people of their sin. It's an amazing, amazing, you think about it. You think about that. His love for a people who had turned their backs on God, and he said, I will, I will step in. I will be the substitute for their sin. Look at verse now let's go over to 33, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, now God's not going to, no man can take, can be the substitute for another sin. So the Lord says to Moses in verse 1, he said, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham. Because when God made the covenant with Abraham, Hundreds of years before, when God makes a covenant with his people, even though there are conditions to it, that covenant stands. And when he made that covenant with Abraham, that he would give his people, his chosen people, a land, he was going to do it. Even in the unfaithfulness at this point, God would continue to be faithful because he had a plan 
God has a plan, a forth-reaching plan into the future. He said, um, I'm going to give you the land promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Now look at verse 2. This is, this is really where we begin about this foundation and depth. I will send an angel before you. In other words, I'm going to send an, a mighty angel just in front of my people. I'm going to send, and they're going to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. All that means is that's their enemies. I'm going to drive out all of the enemies ahead of you. And verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. What God was offering here, now understand this, what God was offering is I'm going to send an angel ahead of you. I'm going to drive out all your, your enemies. I'm going to grant you success in the land that I'm going to give you. In other words, how do we translate that? It's as if God was saying to you, I'll give you everything you want. I'll give you success. You'll have no enemies. I'll give you everything of my richness. All provision, I'll give you everything you need. That was the offer. That's an amazing offer from God. But what did he say? He said, but I will not go with you. I will not go with you. That choice still, as I even say those words, it, it just resonates in me. Because how often would us go, I, I would love to have the success over everything, over my family, over my job, over my life circumstances. I'll have no enemies. Everything will go well. But the choice is, do you want that? Or do you want God to go with you? Now, I'm not saying we have to make that choice. That's not necessarily what this text is teaching. What this text is saying is trying to get down to the foundation and the core of who you are. Would you rather go with God no matter what or go with the ease of saying, I'll deliver you from all of these things, give you all of these things? It's a dramatic, dramatic moment. I will not go with you. Now, verse 4, that, that last part of verse 3, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people. And he says, I just might destroy you on the way. Verse 4, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. They began to see the dramatic statement of that. I mean, would you choose to live life without the presence of God? And they realized that was not the choice they wanted to make. Verse 5, For the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Verse 7, Now Moses used to take a tent, and he pitched it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. 
anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, and all that means is that the pillar of cloud represented God's presence to the nation of Israel. If you know anything about the story, you remember it was a pillar of cloud by day, and at night, a pillar of fire that would guide them. And that just was a a visual representation to them that God's presence was there. And Moses would go outside of the camp. He had a tent, and he would speak to God. Verse 9, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. What struck me so personally in this text 15 years ago was their dramatic choice and then the contrast of the relationship that we can have face-to-face with God. And I knew enough of the New Testament to know that Jesus was still demanding everything. He was still demanding that this hasn't, God has not changed. We see it in different contexts throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the context hasn't changed at all. And if there's anything on this earth that I do know is that God desires a relationship with you. And it's, it's one that is a a get-to kind of relationship. When we begin to step into it, we think, oh, but i got to get about this, and maybe I have to, you know, that part, I've got I've to do this differently. I can't go to the same, you know, it means friends, it means all of these things. But don't you see that was really kind of the same offer God was making to the Israelites in the first place? It's the same, it's the same basis. And I knew in my life at that moment that literally willing to say, I'll give it all up. I just want you. And I had no idea what that looked like. Do you think 15 years later I could look down the road and see this? Absolutely not. George couldn't, Caroline, I didn't even know the Andersons 15 years. They were, my gosh, y'all were probably in preschool, you know? <laughs> you know, who could, who could know? Who could know? But I just knew I wanted God. I just, I wanted that kind of relationship. That's what I was after. I had grown, I grew up in the church. I knew the stories. I had made a commitment when I was about six years old, walking up front going, you know, I, I want to give my life to, I want Jesus to live in my heart. I, I knew that, but it wasn't until like 15 years ago I said, I'm after this, and I'm going to be after this hard. And it's going to mean that I will choose hard things. Did I do it right every day? Do you do it right every day? No, I'm sure I didn't. I'm sure I didn't, but I knew that's what I wanted. I knew that was the goal, face to face. I wanted that kind of intimacy. And I looked at this, this text of Moses, and I know that 
things are different. I, I mean, I know the Old Testament, New Testament, all that. But I look at that text and I go, I want that. I want that kind of intimacy. I want that kind of knowledge of who God is. And it began a whole series of choices and places and, and people that I would not trade for anything. Was it always easy? No, no. But I knew that's what I wanted. That has just been the heart's cry. Face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Now look at verse 12. Remember this outstanding offer that God has given. I'll give you everything, but I just my presence won't go with you. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. All right, let's look at that just for a moment. Because when Moses is speaking to the Lord, and literally, I mean, you, you tend to think face-to-face -to, -face to God. Did he really see the face of God? Well, he was in this place, in this tent, the pillar of cloud, um, no, Moses could not see him face to face. He couldn't see him face to face because we would, we would perish in that. But he had that relationship. And he says to Moses, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, now look at this, look at this verse. Because evidently God had spoke. He said, I know you by name. And you have found favor with me. I think I, I, you know, maybe one of the first messages that I, that I gave here at Renovation was about the unbelievable knowledge that God knows your name. You know, if, if you go to the right, if you were able to like go to the throne of God and go, you know, do you know Michael? And, and God would say, yeah, I know Michael. He, he's mine. I know everything about him. You know, do, do, you, do you know Jenny? Yeah, I know Jenny. I know her by name. I know Colby. You know, I know everything about Colby. I gave Colby to Jenny. I mean, everything. Know you by name. What more could we ever desire than that? I mean, truly, think about your desires. When George did um, the teaching on um, the Lord's Prayer, all of those things, give us this day our daily bread, and he made reference to each one of those things in the Lord's Prayer, back in this series of facades and foundations. What do you crave? What do you desire? Do you crave being a person of unforgiveness or forgiveness? Which one? Give us this day our daily bread. Do you crave Jesus Christ as your daily bread? Do you crave that kind of intimacy with Him? What do you desire? What do you crave? You've said, I know you by name, and you found favor with me. And if you are pleased with me, could there be any more cry of the heart after God, I want to know you, than to say, God, teach me your ways. Teach me how 
to look like you. Teach me how to react to people like you do. Teach me how to love like you do. Teach me how to have compassion. Teach me how to walk on a path that is very narrow on this earth. You see what Moses wanted? He didn't, you know, parasites, parasites, uh, Hittites, all of them, all of them. It, that was just like, those are things out there, but God, what I'm desiring, it's you. It's you. I choose you. And what I want is your favor. I want to know you, and I want to know your ways. I want to know your character, and I want to know how to live that out. I want to know how to reach out to the broken. I want to know how to bind up wounds. I want to know how to pray with authority because you've commanded us to do so. I want to go and baptize the nations. Teach me your ways. That was what was most precious to Moses, most precious to him. And continue to find favor. Remember that this nation is your, God hadn't forgotten. God hadn't forgotten, but I, I think he loves to hear that. This nation is your people. Because basically what Moses was saying to the offer of I'll, I'll drive out all your enemies, I'll give you the land of milk and honey, but I, you know what Moses was saying? No deal. No deal, God. No deal. My choice is that your presence will be with me. And then it's whatever. That text radically changed who I was. Because it's no deal. It's no deal on my comfort. It's no deal on my security. It's no deal. Because the presence of God is what I crave. And everything else as he leads, it's a whatever. It's just whatever. But look at this, verse 14, the Lord replied, look at this grace. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now that didn't mean he was going to retire Moses. That doesn't mean I give you the retirement piece here. You know, it's like, oh, you made the right choice. Just go, go. Moses was getting ready to continue to step up into some of the more difficult. I mean, he was getting ready to take them to the edge of the promised land. He had miles to go. But what God was saying in that choice of the choice of his presence, there is peace and there is security and there is rest for your soul. I don't know what more we could ask for or what more we could crave from God. And that is in every circumstance in this room. Whether your stomach just churns with what that is, or whether you are anxious about something, or whether you want the result, something to come to a conclusion, whatever it is, 
what God has promised is through the midst of that, I will give you a rest in that. That's when you know you have allowed the Holy Spirit to consume you. And because through that turmoil or through that chaos or through that upheaval, you're just walking with a presence of God and there is a place of security and a place of rest in that. And, you know, God, God plan, you know, for you to, for Caroline, for the, for the um, worship team, for y'all to choose the songs I'm, we're singing, uh, what is the name of um, No Weapon Formed Against You Will? The Desert Song. Okay, here we are in the middle of the desert. You know, and, and, and in those times, in those times, it's God's presence. In those desert moments, in the desert moments, that what we were just singing about is I still have a reason to worship. Still have a place. Even in the toughest of, why? Because there's rest there. And I would just, you know, when we, we get ready to have um, opportunity to share at the communion table and we will have prayer partners here who, are, who would love to pray for you. If You don't have to come and spill it all. But if you just like for them to lay a hand on you and pray for rest and security in the presence of God, we would love to do that. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that for the rest, for the desire. Verse 14, the, the, the Lord said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. So he was saying, No deal, God. It's your presence or nothing. And because, because, look at verse 16. It's not so Moses can go, ah, it's me and God and forget the rest of the world. That's not it at all. And here's, here's the conclusion of this. Because here's what, what Moses, yes, that intimacy, that deep foundation, that face-to-face -face, um, speaking with God, that intimacy, that rest that he, that he found, that favor, learning his ways. But verse 16 is this, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with them? That's not to say that he wanted God to just be the waiter at the table, just do everything I ask so that, no, what he was saying is your glory matters. And I want people to see you through my life. How will anyone know that you belong to him? See, there's the, there's the final challenge. How we live our lives in the foundations that are deep, it matters how the sails look on top of the water. It matters. How will anyone know? How will anyone know? Unless we step out in the desire to display him to the world around us. Moses' heart cried for that. How will anyone know? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, 
the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Question is, what do you desire? If you were to just be honest, because what we desire is what drives us. What we desire, what we crave, will drive your decisions. From the smallest of things to the biggest of things in life. So this morning, um, I'd like to pray before we, before we have communion. Just simply, if you want to um, just talk to God about what you do desire, what, what, how he has spoken to you through this message. Um, priorities. Is it his presence that you, that you crave above all? And, you know, I just say that, saying, you, this may be all very new to you, and that's okay. So as I, you know, 15 years ago, I didn't know the depths of, I just knew that's what I wanted. So I'd love for us just to, just to pray for a moment. I'm going to actually not say anything because I want you, I want you to talk to your Heavenly Father about what you crave, what you desire, and then we'll, we'll have communion.